0: Hear the word of God from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, located on page 807 in the Pew Bible. For it is as if a man was going on a journey, summoned his slaves, and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? and gnashing of teeth. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: I've entitled the sermon this morning, The Great Risk. It comes from Paul Duke. From whom I've also received a lot of help with these thoughts, for which I'm grateful. Let us pray. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you may have seen the movie Tin Cup. It's about a washed up golf pro by the name of Roy Tin Cup McAvoy, played by Kevin Costner. He lives in a trailer home on a dusty, armadillo infested driving range in some backwater town in Texas. When a beautiful, sophisticated woman signs up for golf lessons, she thinks that McAvoy is just a deadbeat frat boy whose future plans extend only as far as his next beer. And so, to show the pretty girl that he is, in fact, made of sterner stuff, he sets out to qualify for the U.S. Open, which he does. In true schmaltzy Hollywood style, the movie comes to its climax, with McAvoy needing a birdie on the final hole to win the U.S. Open. He's faced with a tough decision. Should he play it safe by laying up in front of the water hazard on this long par five? Or should he play a far more risky shot, hitting over the water and going straight for the green? In earlier rounds, he had tried the riskier option and on each occasion had failed. Conventional wisdom was that he should play it safe. But McAvoy would have none of that. He's convinced he can pull off this audacious shot, and so he goes for it, and sure enough, hits the ball into the water. Undeterred, he takes out another ball and tries the shot again and again hits it into the water. So he takes out another ball and another and another and another, each time hitting it into the water until he has only one ball left in his bag. And in even schmaltzier Hollywood style, he hits that last ball into the hole. The movie was hardly a cinematographical tour de force but it made a compelling point. There are times when life presents us with a risky choice, and we must decide, do we go for it or do we play it safe? How we choose in those defining moments shapes the kind of people we will be. Recently, I read the story of Ellen MacArthur, a young British sailor who in 2005 broke the world record for the fastest non stop solo circumnavigation of the world. It was the most unbelievable story of courage and endurance as she risked herself in this heroic quest. Over and over again, in seemingly impossible situations on the high seas, she chose to go for it, and in the end, the record was hers. The only trouble with fictional stories like Roy McAvoy's or real-life ones like Ellen MacArthur's is that these courageous risk-takers seem so far removed from ordinary people like us. Our lives are lived on a much smaller stage. And many people are content with that. They're aware of their limitations and shortcomings and accept that in the great scheme of things, they are one of the little ones whose lives will pass by largely unnoticed. And so they think that great risks are not for them. If you're one of those people who prefers being anonymous, living your life under the radar, then I'd remind you that no one, in fact, is anonymous to God, that no one goes unnoticed by Him, which means that everyone faces the great risk of colliding with a call from God upon their lives. Jesus noticed the little ones. He took great interest in their lives and well-beings, so much so that he was unafraid to speak hard truth into the lives of ordinary people. Once he told a story that contained such difficult truth. A man was heading out of town, and so summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. He knew they had different abilities, and so apportioned his property accordingly. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to the third slave, the little one amongst them, with the least ability, to him he gave one. Notice he didn't give all eight talents to the one with the most ability, all the slaves, from the greatest to the least we're entrusted with the master's property. And then he leaves for a long time. Now, to get this parable, it's essential to grasp that a talent was a unit of money in Jesus' day that represented big, big bucks. We're talking lotto jackpot here. Roughly the equivalent of 15 years' wages. So, for us to hear the parable today, as the original hearers would have done so, we could say that a talent was roughly the equivalent of a million dollars. So, there we find these three slaves. One is holding in his shaking hand a check with his name on it for a million dollars. The other is blinking his eyes as he stares at his check for two million. The third has one for five million dollars. He's the first to make a move. I think I'll take this offshore, he says. I hear there are some banks in Greece and Spain looking for investment at the moment. The little guy can't believe his ears. Are you crazy, he says. Don't you know about the lingering Eurozone debt crisis? <laughs> and the governor of the Bank of England has just declared that there will be no more bailouts for struggling banks. But the first slave isn't listening because he's already got his broker on the line. The second slave thinks, hmm, two million. I know. I know. I'll start an organic veggie farm and employ homeless people. The third slave holds his head. He says, you must be barking mad. What if the veggies don't grow or sell? What if there's a drought or a hailstorm? What if the homeless give you trouble? What if the master returns and wants his money back and it's all tied up in Brussels sprouts and broccoli? The second slave just smiles and shrugs his shoulders, and he's gone. So there the little guy stands, all alone, with a check with his name on it for a million bucks in his shaking hand. He's absolutely terrified. The master had left no instructions as to what he should do with the money. The decision is all his. Don't you feel at least a little bit sorry for him? I reckon he felt pretty sorry for himself. I reckon he felt sorry that he had such a master who would take such a great risk as to entrust him, no, to burden him with so much. So what does he do? he wraps it up and goes outside and digs a hole and buries it. Which is not just to say that he did nothing with the money, but that it had to be hidden away because he couldn't bear to look at the audacious invitation it offered for him to risk himself in a wild and prodigal way. Well, the master finally returned and summoned his slaves to give accounts. The first two reported impressive returns to which the master said to each of them, well done, good and faithful slave. I trusted you and you have been trustworthy. I will continue to entrust my things to you. Come and share my joy. Now it's the little guy's turn. First thing he does is start attacking the master. You're a harsh man. You reap where you did not sow. You gather where you did not scatter seed. What? I mean, nothing in the story supports this outrageous accusation. And nothing could be further from the truth. All the master does in the story is to give and to trust in the most generous and prodigal way, to sow and scatter with reckless generosity, and to invite others to share his joy. And suddenly we understand why the third slave has been so afraid. It's because he's got the master all wrong. He thinks the master is out to get him. And so he cannot trust the master's trust in him. He was invited to participate in the richly abundant and generous life of the master, to risk himself in a whole new way, But he refused, and in his refusal, he brings judgment on himself and is thrown into utter darkness. Now, if that sounds harsh to you, and it does to me, maybe it's because Jesus didn't want to sugarcoat the difficult truth that ordinary people like us need to hear. The truth that whether we like it or not, God hands us an invitation that is both exciting and scary at the same time. It's an invitation to step out of the shadows of our uncertainties and insecurities and take hold of this great gift of life entrusted to us to risk living it, playing it, investing it, in the audacious belief that it can become even more. We did not choose this, but we can choose our response. We can refuse the invitation. We can refuse to participate. We can bury our hearts, our dreams, our aching desire to see this world renewed. We can bury our sense of being called. Or we can say, okay, let me risk it. I'll take the first step today in trying to reconcile that broken relationship. I'll find a way to invite that work colleague to church. I'll open my heart to love again. I'll sign up for some new area of service. The tech team, by the way, is needing more helpers. I'll change my job to something more life-giving. I'll sign a commitment card to start giving more generously, maybe even a tithe. I'll speak out more boldly against injustice. We'll adopt the child. How is the Spirit stirring you? What is God calling you to? What great risk are you being invited to take that will draw you deeper into the overflowing abundance and joy of what God is already doing? Friends, whatever it may be, I urge you, to go for it go for it take the risk and you will enter into the joy of your master I'd like to close with a story that I've shared before when I preached here in January but it's a story that bears repeating especially today A number of years ago, I was invited to participate in a special Easter assembly at my children's school. As a preacher, normally when I'm invited to take part in these things, it's to give a message or say a prayer or something like that. But on this occasion, it was the music teacher who contacted me. My daughter in first grade, bless her heart, had proudly told the music teacher that her daddy plays the violin and he's very good. (laughs) Friends, trust me, that is an extravagant embellishment of what is actually the case. But anyhow, the invitation came to be part of a string quartet that would provide the music for this Easter assembly Really, so as not to disappoint my daughter, I agreed, not knowing what I was getting myself into, it soon became apparent. I was to play second violin in the quartet. The music was way beyond my limited technical ability. There would be just one practice immediately before the assembly. (laughs) And all the other musicians were of vastly superior ability to myself. In fact, the person sitting right next to me playing first violin was none other than the associate concertmaster of the KZN Philharmonic. If any of you watched Nelson Mandela's funeral on TV, the person who led the orchestra on that occasion is the person that I'm talking about. The double bass, two seats away, was also a member of the KZN Philharmonic. The chap on the cello next to me used to play for the KZN Youth Orchestra, and then just to round off the ensemble, there was me. Can you see where this is going? It's okay, I've dealt with this in therapy, I can talk about it now. As an aside, one of my favorite Far Side cartoons is of a musician whose name happens to be Roger, sitting in an orchestra holding the cymbals. And there's this thought bubble coming out of his head as he says to himself, This time I won't screw up. I won't, I won't, I won't. And the caption beneath the cartoon reads, Roger screws up. Back to the concert. Well, it was an Easter concert, and thankfully this is an Easter story of good news, because believe it or not, I didn't screw up. I played. I participated. Of course, I missed many of the notes, and many that I played were wrong, but that's not the point. The point is that I played, and the music sounded really, really good which had nothing to do with the merits of my playing, but everything to do with the fact that a diverse group of people were risking themselves in making music together. And as I did so, it was for me an experience of indescribable joy. Now I'm fully aware that if another member of the KZN Philharmonic had been playing second violin, the music that day would have been even better. But dare I say it, what we had was certainly more interesting. (laughs) And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's why the master entrusts his bounty to all, including the little ones, and asks us to risk putting it into play because that makes everything more interesting. And what if you risk and lose? Well, imagine another ending to the parable as suggested by Paul Duke. He writes... Suppose the third servant did not hide his gift. Let's say he took that million bucks and built a shelter for the homeless. He fed the poor, gave job training, taught literacy, told them of God's love. Some flourished, but others were not grateful, did not get better. And then one night, a gang of them broke in, stole everything, and burned the place to the ground. And then the master returned, and the third servant, having heard the fine reports of his friends, had to step forward and say, I have nothing. I lost everything you gave me. What do you think the master would say? Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll give you even more. Come and share my joy. Of course, in the parable that Jesus told, the ones who took the risk didn't lose at all. That's the amazing thing about God's fortune in our hands. To give it, to give it is never in the end to lose it. Friends, the time for playing it safe is past. Take the great risk that God entrusts to you. It is truly a gift of great love. Amen. The ushers are now going to take up the offerings as we risk giving ourselves, not just our money, but see this time of tree as an invitation for you to offer yourself afresh and anew, to be part of the things that God is doing. And as the ushers wait upon us, the team will lead us in song. Thank you.